Today's passage is taken from Isaiah chapters 46 and 47 and can be, can be found on pages 734 and 735 of the Church Bibles. That's Isaiah 46 to 47, pages 734 and 735 of the Church Bibles. Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to grey hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god, then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If no one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from, tr from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness, I will bring near my righteousness, it is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion, for Israel, my glory. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. 
I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will know not how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone, and ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, with which you have laboured from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed, perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known, shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have laboured, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. This is the word of the Lord. Alison, thank you for reading. Please uh, keep your Bibles open there, Isaiah 46, 47. We'll be working uh, through those two chapters together. And uh, let me just lead us in prayer again. Some words from the end of Isaiah chapter 2. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? Heavenly Father, you know our hearts. You know how slow we are to trust you, how quick we are to trust ourselves or trust uh, the world around us. Please, uh, whether we are uh, disillusioned or disinterested, uh, whether we are uh, burdened this morning with many things or carefree, help us to have ears to hear. Uh, Would we eagerly listen to what you say that we might see Christ and our need of him with greater clarity. In his name and for your glory we pray. Amen. How big is your God? How big is your God? Big enough to carry in your pocket or big enough to carry you in their hand? That's the question for each one of us this morning. And it is a question for every single one of us because all of us are worshippers. We might not have realised it, but everyone's life revolves around something or someone. It might be the slacker who worships comfort and leisure. They stay in bed as long as possible. They work as little as possible. They just want to drift their way through life. Or it could be the high-flying city exec. They live for the bottom line, for the bonus, for the bank balance. Uh, Whether it's the thrill seeker, the homemaker, or the deal broker, our lives have to revolve around something or someone, even if it's ourselves. Everyone lives for someone or something. We're all worshippers. And the question Isaiah confronts us with is, how big is your God? 
if we're here for the first time, it's helpful to know we're working our way through this book of Isaiah. I hope you've got it open there, page 734. And Isaiah is writing at least 70 years before God's people will be carted off to captivity in Babylon. He's writing about 140 years before they'll be released from exile and be sent home by God's agent Cyrus, and roughly around 700 BC. So it is a word to God's people in advance of all of this happening, and it is a word from the Lord to his people as they're in exile, and it is God's word to us today, thousands of years later, here in Tunbridge Wells. And the question remains the same throughout. How big is your God? It's brought into focus for us at the beginning of chapter 46 as we see the contrast in our first point this morning. A burden to you or one who bears you? And just look with me to the beginning of chapter 46 again. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Now, even if we know nothing about ancient Babylonian culture, it is clear from verse one, Bel and Nebo are idols. They, they were the chief gods in Babylon. Bel is sometimes called Marduk and Nebo is his son. And we might recognize them from the names of Babylonian kings like Belshazzar or Nebuchadnezzar. And every new year in Babylon, there was this great procession and festival as Bel and Nebo were were held up and paraded through the streets. But here it's as if they're being carted off before an invading force. And they're being taken off into captivity. Far from bearing the burden of looking after Babylon, They are a burden to the beasts having to bear them. It's flipped all around. And it's such a contrast to the one true God, isn't it? Verse three. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to the gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made... And I will bear, I will carry, and will save. Uh, Someone I know just this last week thought they were losing their hearing. Uh, It is a horrible thing. It was quite distressing for them. And uh, they went to the audiologist and found, though, that it was just a build-up of wax. It had been uh, building up and building up and and getting in the way. And it's as if Israel here have allowed a build-up of spiritual wax, so to speak, to stop them hearing their God. So the Lord says to them, shouts to them, listen, listen to me, verse three. Listen to this beautiful word of encouragement. Your whole life long, God will carry his people. It's emphatic, isn't it? I have made, I will bear, I will carry, I will save. Christianity is fundamentally about what God does for us, not what we do for him. Now, sure, it involves a response. There are certain things we have to do, repent and believe, being pretty crucial. But ultimately, it is about a God who carries us in and through Jesus, not how we serve him. It might be we're already a Christian and we've just slipped into feeling 
it is all about dreary drudgery. If we're honest, and I hope we are, then we feel it's all a burden. But did we notice idols are the burden? They are what weigh people down. God, he lifts us up. He carries us in Jesus. God loves his people so much. He wants them to really realize idols cannot save. So verse five. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. To worship creation, however shiny, however valuable, is bonkers. And when it comes to the category God... There is only one entry listed, the one true Lord God. He has no equal, there is no one and nothing to compare with him. And crucially, therefore, only he can save. For God's people, this should have all been revision. He's already covered all of this. So just flip back, chapter 45, verse 20. Assemble yourselves, come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations, They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. So it shouldn't be a surprise in verse eight, God calls on them to remember, chapter 46, verse eight, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, uh, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. It's a recap, isn't it, of what we've been seeing in recent weeks. God is the only God. Only he rules history. Verse 11, he will raise up Cyrus, this this bird of prey, this man of his counsel, to achieve his good purposes. But are God's people taking all of this to heart? Are they delighting in his loving, sovereign control and care for them? Well, no. Verse 12, listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Again, God calls on his people to listen. He will do it all. Please don't ever think Christianity is about us pulling up our socks or trying harder or God giving us a leg up. What we need is the same as what God's people needed in Isaiah's day, the same as what God's people needed in exile, We need God to bring his righteousness near. We need him to work salvation. And he's done exactly that in Jesus. Sure, God's people were brought back from exile, but they still remained stubborn. They were still burdened by the idols. But just listen to Jesus' words from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isaiah 46 exposes idols for the useless, dead weight they are. And it also points us to Jesus as the one who carries us. He gives us rest. Following him, serving him is no drudgery but a delight. And maybe we've never turned to Jesus. Why not consider his claims, examine the evidence, grab a gospel account and have a read. God's righteousness has been brought near in Jesus. We no longer need to serve idols who can never, will never deliver. They cannot bear us. They always need us to carry them. Only God carries us in Jesus. And those of us who are following Jesus, well, we still need to listen and remember. Or really, it's just it's listen, verse 3, remember, verse 8, then listen again, verse 12. At maybe as a child, you sang the same song I did. At my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Anyone else sing that one? Do we sing that here, Craig? Not yet. A child, a child can understand this truth. But it's a lot harder to keep clinging to this truth in a world saturated with idolatry. It's not Bell and Nebo anymore, is it? They've been consigned to the history books. But whether it's Islam, Sikhism, Buddhism, Roman Catholicism, or ancestor worship as it is in some countries, or whether it's materialism, secularism, consumerism, and agnosticism like in the West... Idolatry is alive and kicking, just like it's always been. Uh, People bow down to their gods day after day after day. Uh, They trust their gods to deliver, but they will always be burdened by them. Uh, They won't give them freedom in this life. They certainly won't give them salvation in the next. Idols cannot save been graphically illustrated in the last week there's the terrible uh, terribly sad news story about those who died going down to look at the titanic but it left us in no doubt that money cannot save even a billionaire cannot escape death no amount of money can make us safe and secure if one cries to it it does not answer or save him from his trouble And yet it is still so hard to believe when the world screams the opposite. Just just imagine how hard it would have been uh, for God's people in exile not to give in to idol worship, sitting there in Babylon. It was just everywhere. Idolatry wasn't just a pastime. It was all the time. It was the way people saw the world. You went along with it just to fit in. You go along to get along. The biggest festivals and parties of the year are all tied up in it. You want to be a good neighbour, not rock the boat. Well, you don't say anything against Bell or Nebo. And so we need to listen and remember. Idols are dead weights and they cannot save. Only the living God can and salvation is only found in Jesus. But what if we don't think we need saving? I'm all right on my own, thank you very much. Well, in chapter 47, we turn from the Babylonian idols to the culture, even to Babylon herself, to the people who bow down to these false gods, these idols. And we see their end, and we see where it leads, and it's meant to warn us and encourage us. So secondly, this morning, you'll see it there again on the sheet, the 
price of pride in chapter 47, the price of pride. Or if this was a newspaper headline, we might say Babylon's bubble burst as preening pride is pulverized or arrogance annihilated. Well, we get the idea, too much alliteration. But it it is some picture, isn't it? Uh, We do well to remember the Bible uses graphic, uh, vivid, even disturbing imagery to shake us out of our spiritual slumber. God in his love wants us to see how serious it is when in our pride we reject him and rebel against him. And so chapter 47, as I said, acts as both a warning and an encouragement. It's helpful for us to know something of how Babylon operates in the Bible and in this book of Isaiah. From Genesis through to Revelation, Babylon stands as proud, arrogant, self-reliant humanity, rejecting God and their maker. Uh, Babylon is representative of humanity in opposition to God. And in the book of Isaiah, Babylon is the real literal place, but it also stands as the epitome of the self-centered, power-crazed worship of success and luxury. Babylon was a city filled with sorcery, magic, astrology, and omens, but also filled with technological ingenuity. They were the, the world leaders in science and maths and the arts, and didn't they know it? But how the mighty will fall. Verse one, come, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour, put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs, pass through the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. If we are shocked and appalled, that is right. We're meant to be shocked. Babylon is portrayed as a once pampered and proud princess, now working as a slave, exposed, degraded, humiliated. Not for a second is the Bible justifying this kind of treatment of women. It is figurative language for the real judgment that will come on both proud men and women, regardless of gender. And this is deserved judgment. Verse five, sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people, I profaned my heritage, I gave them into your hand, you showed them no mercy. On the aged you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Again, Babylon is told to sit down. They were the agent of God's judgment against his people, but it didn't give them a free pass to sin with impunity. They were guilty for their lack of mercy to the Israelites. They were guilty of their pride. Just listen to the level of their pride in verse 8 and verse 10. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. Verse 10, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Now, if we've been here over recent weeks, I hope some bells are beginning to go off. We've heard this kind of language before, haven't we? 
except up until now, it's been used to talk of God. Babylon thought they were totally secure, utterly untouchable. They were out in a league of their own, on their own. And Isaiah takes their boast, and he shows how it's really a clash of the two I am's. Again and again, this has been how God describes himself. Just cast your eyes back to chapter 46, verse 9. I am God, there's no other. I am God, there's none like me. Babylon is wanting to be in the place of God. It's been the same story ever since Genesis 3. At the heart of sin, of pride, is wanting to be in the place of God. And there's only one winner. Verse 9, these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. Verse 11, but evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Not only are the idols unable to save, but Babylon can't save herself. Like the fall of Lehman Brothers or the USSR or the Berlin Wall, there will be sudden and irreversible collapse. All of their horoscopes and predictions and premonitions are useless. Only God controls the future. They just can't see it coming. Isn't it just like the world today? The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And yet so many know nothing of this coming day. In verses 12 and 13, it's as if Isaiah begins to taunt Babylon. It is mocking, but it's exposing also how wedded they are to their belief system, how empty it is. Verse 12, stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries with which you've labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You're wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. They are powerless to save themselves, but in their pride, they just can't see it. So Isaiah doesn't pull his punches when he tells us where pride inevitably leads. Verse 14, behold, they're like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you've labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Seems a, a pretty bleak end. But as I said, Isaiah is giving us both a warning and an encouragement. It's a warning to God's people tempted to settle down and just nestle in in Babylon. It's also a warning to Babylon, if only they would listen. This is where pride leads. The price is simply too high. And history shows us God's word came true. It always does. And the Babylonian Empire eventually came crashing down. 
but it's not just pride before a fall, but pride always, inescapably, leads to a devastating fall. I'm aware as I'm preaching this sermon, we're still in the month of June, which might seem insignificant enough. But if you go on any major corporate website or head into London, you'll begin to see rainbow flags everywhere. June has been dubbed Pride Month. In fact, when I googled the term to get a definition, I literally had a picture of people marching across my computer screen with flags and confetti. It is a month dedicated to the celebration and commemoration of LGBT pride. And pride is an appropriate word. Now we want to be crystal clear here at St John's, people of any and all backgrounds are welcome and are safe. We love, we genuinely love to see all sorts of people from all walks of life come to find out about Jesus and receive life in his name. If you are someone struggling with your sexuality, I hope and pray that St John's is a church for you and that you feel it is a church for you. But also, we want to love people enough here at St. John's to be clear. Pride, exalting ourselves in any form, according to the Bible, is wicked, sinful, and deserving of God's just judgment. Either we admit we're made by God in his image, and the right response is humbly submitting to him by turning to Jesus. Or we insist on making God's in our own image, And so we think, we insist that we're dependent on no one and nothing. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And we see the danger of pride illustrated in King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember what he says in Daniel 4 as he struts about on the palace roof in Babylon? Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty... That that is pretty proud, isn't it? And so he is humbled and driven out to eat grass like an ox and so on until he knows that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. We are not God. It is right, it is fitting that pride leads to judgment. The word vengeance in verse 3, it's the idea of a matching retribution. It is a punishment perfectly fitting the crime. All of chapter 47 is totally and unarguably deserved. And it will come. As God says in chapter 46 verse 11, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. But it doesn't mean it's the only possible end. Did we spot how verse 3 of chapter 47 and the vengeance, it is followed immediately by this little reminder of who God is in verse 4. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. In the immediate historical context, God redeems his people from the exile. It's through this judgment on Babylon that they're redeemed. But as we read on in the Bible, we discover the staggering news, even proud Gentiles can be redeemed. You see, there is a rescue from this catastrophic judgment for those who are humbled The only outcome is either retribution or redemption. 
And the price of pride must be paid, either by us in eternity or by Jesus on the cross. We cannot atone for ourselves. Can we see that in verse 11? How can Jesus give us rest? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, he gives us this rest only through the cross. Be warned, yes, but also be encouraged for those facing the temptation to give in and go with the flow in Babylon or for those facing a barrage of abuse for sticking to the Lord God in Babylon. Remember, this is the certain end for all the proud who oppose God. And all of us are in one of two cities, Babylon or Zion. Isaiah has sometimes been called a tale of two cities. And we might have missed the reference to Zion at the end of chapter 46, but it's important. Do you see it there? Now, Babylon is the city in view in these chapters, but where is salvation to be found? It's in Zion, isn't it? It's the theme the whole Bible ends with. In Revelation 18, we hear the cry, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The proud will fall. Be warned. Be encouraged. And for God's people, those in Zion, those trusting in Jesus, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So as we close, don't hedge your bets when it comes to Jesus. It is all or nothing. Listen to the Lord who bears his people and crushes his proud enemies. How big is your God? Big enough for you to carry a burden you have to bear who offers no salvation, no hope, no life. Or big enough to bear you by bearing the cross in your place so you might have salvation and hope and life. Let's pray together. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father God, we thank and praise you for the rest there is in Jesus. Thank you that you bear us in him to the end of our days. Thank you that you have made, you will bear, you will carry, you will save. And for how clearly we see that in your son. Please help us to remember the danger of pride the utter folly of idolatry. Help us to listen and remember, to be warned and encouraged, to look to Jesus and to keep looking to him, remembering that salvation is only found in him. Please, in your love, if we are giving in to idolatry in our lives, please expose it and please find, cause us to, to find Jesus of greater value greater security and worth and greater joy. In his name we pray. Amen.